Brett went deep sea fishing once in Florida. He and his friends were all having a good time, but all that ended for Brett when the fishermen started catching fish. They pressed out into deep waters, and the ship captain began to cast the poles out of the boat. Almost immediately, they began reeling in beautiful blue and green mahi-mahi. The trip was fun. It was new. It was exciting. Brett had never been deep-sea fishing before. And then the men threw their ocean catches into a cooler right by Brett, and his heart would not let him fish anymore. He sat atop the cooler to keep the lid closed, and all he could hear were fish begging for their lives, beseeching someone to have mercy. They were flopping around like, well, like fish out of water. Brett was conflicted. He'd come all this way and spent all this money to catch fish for dinner, but he just could not sit there and let them slowly die. He wanted to jump up, commandeer the boat, open the cooler, and throw every single fish back into the ocean. But he'd have to explain to his former friends why they spent hundreds of dollars to go deep-sea fishing so he could return their spoils to the ocean and spoil their trip. He stayed there and painfully listened as the ruckus quieted down, and he realized it was too late. Brett was a softy when it came to fish. He tried to go fishing another time. One of the men in the church was going to show him how to hook the minnows. The gentleman held up a hook with one hand and a live minnow in the other. Then he said, Now you get yourself a hook, and then you get yourself a minnow, and you drive that hook right through that minnow's eye. Brett was going to be sick. He's just not a fisherman. Brett would have embarrassed Simon, because Simon was a fisherman. He looked the part with tan, leathery muscles. He smelled the part, just ask Mrs. Simon. And he lived the part. After the sun disappeared each night, he met up with his colleagues and headed for the boats to see what gifts the ocean had to give. Simon had the I'd rather be fishing bumper sticker on his mule. But one day, he met Jesus who called him to something higher than just fishing for fish. Jesus called Simon to fish for men. And we're going to hear more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Welcome, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I am your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. And this episode is the start of a brand new series called A Glorious Church. So I'm happy to have you on the episode with me. We are reading from Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One day, Simon, who was also called Peter, was fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Luke 5 presents Jesus preaching at the selfsame sea to a great crowd, massive crowd. And perhaps because of the large crowd, Jesus asked this fisherman, Simon Peter, who really did not appear to be part of the large crowd, if he could borrow his boat. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Jesus walks up and says, hey, I like the Ultima. You mind if I take it for a spin? (laughs) Absolutely. Jesus climbed into the fishing boat and Peter pushed the boat out into the sea and he became a member of this large crowd. Now, Jesus knew everything. He was God in flesh. He knew acoustics, and he knew that for the crowd to hear him without a sure Beta 87 microphone, that he could go out onto the boat 
in the sea, and they would be able to hear because it would carry his voice. When Jesus finished his message, he approached Peter and instructed him to take his boats out into the deep where they would catch fish. A bit of an odd way to pay for a boat rental. Surely Jesus saw the obvious. They had just come back from fishing and they didn't catch anything. Brett would have been fine on that fishing boat. But Peter agreed anyways and took two boats out into deep water simply based on Jesus' word before Simon Peter was a faithful follower. And on the way, Peter might have muttered to himself, what does this preacher know about fishing? We fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And now he thinks there'll be fish just because he said so. I can't wait to see the look on his face when we come back empty-handed. Peter and his associates, James and John, cast their net into the water, and they heard the distinct sound. It sounded like music as the net tore beneath the weight of fish. If the lurch of the fishing boat wasn't enough, the number of fish Peter saw as he lifted the net assured him this was a supernatural event. Peter was witnessing. Peter was living a miracle. He didn't know how the fish got there. He didn't know how Jesus knew they would be there. Peter just knew he experienced something that defied all of his previous experience. And isn't that the outcome of our encounters with God? We come to him. And we know that we've tried this and this and this, and we went to them and them and them, and nothing worked. And then we come to Jesus, and oh, wow, what was that? That's the sweet music of a miracle. Maybe Peter remembered the contempt and doubt through which he had viewed Jesus' instruction. (laughs) Really? Catch fish? We fished all night, didn't catch fish. Awe and wonder swiftly drained from Peter's face as dread took its place. Peter knew Jesus was more than just a man. A man could not command schools of fish into a net where they had just fished. Even rabbis couldn't do that. At the very least, Jesus had to be a prophet of God. When Peter arrived at the shore to face Jesus, he collapsed to his knees. He prayed and he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Immediately, Peter understood he's not just a man. He's Lord. Bringing us to our first question, have you ever had an encounter with God like Peter did, where you came to God, knelt down, and rather than just call out to him as our heavenly buddy, you called out to him as the Lord? If you did, what feelings, what thoughts did that evoke within you? We're not the first to have that experience, and certainly Peter wasn't even the first either. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah had a similar experience. One day, Isaiah had a vision of God positioned on a throne within the temple. Angels singing around the throne, the entire temple began to shake violently. And Isaiah cried out, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. And yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Just like Peter, Isaiah was confronted with his sinfulness when he saw God in his holiness and in his power. Isaiah saw the Lord on his throne. Peter saw a net burst with fish that only divine intervention could possibly explain. These divine encounters portray an important truth. When we see God, we see ourselves. And the view of ourselves, the view of others, the view of our world, radically different. We don't see ourselves as good and righteous and holy. We see ourselves as sinful in the blinding light of his holiness. Peter did not try to deny his sinfulness. Isaiah did not deny it. They owned it. I'm a sinner. And likewise, both of them became servants in the service of Almighty God. Isaiah became Jehovah's prophet to the kingdom of Judah. 
Peter became a fisher of men. Because encountering Jesus causes a radical paradigm shift in our lives. When we meet Jesus, our values change. We realign our lives to match His holy purpose. He does not have to realign His purpose to match our lives and preferences. We realign our lives to match Him. Peter began fishing for fish, but he left that encounter with Jesus fishing for people. Next question. What have you left behind to follow Jesus? I know some people who have left behind addiction, and they would not go back if they could. Some people left behind brokenness and sinfulness, wretchedness. All of us left behind brokenness, sinfulness, and wretchedness, now that I think about it. But some have left behind lucrative careers, not just to follow Jesus, but to follow Jesus' plan for their lives. I know people who were successful accountants or engineers or even athletes. But they realized they couldn't pursue that and the call of God on their lives. And so they left behind all the money and the fame and the popularity to follow Jesus. And if you were to ask them today, they would tell you, I wouldn't go back if I could. The word church, which Jesus introduced in Matthew 16, has become connected with the gathering place to have Christian services. We say it all the time. Yeah, I'm going to swing by the church. Or, I believe I left my phone at the church. Or, hey, it's Sunday morning, let's go to the church. Or, I live just about two miles from the church. But the original meaning had nothing to do with a building. had everything to do with the people. The early Christians attributed this understanding of church to people, not a place. If Jesus came to build his church and we are going to play a role in that, we really need to understand what he came to build. Or really whom he came to build. If Jesus just came to build physical places for Christians to meet across the world with steeples and crosses on the front, then his mission is almost complete because you're going to find a church, especially in the deep south here in the U.S. But Jesus' mission is not about buildings. It's about people. The word church in our English translation of the New Testament comes from the Greek word ekklesia, literally meaning to call out of. And the disciples knew that. Ecclesia frequently referred to the children of Israel being called out of Egypt, called out of sin, called out of the world in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Who knew you were going to a little Greek in history lesson? In Greek culture, Ecclesia referred to an assembly of male citizens over the age of 20 who lived in the same city. They were called out of their homes and called together to determine the best interests of their city. In a similar way, the church consists of those who have been called out of the world, men and women, boys and girls, young men and young ladies, called together into Christ's kingdom, but one day will be inaugurated upon the earth. Bringing us to our next question, what does it mean to be called out and called together? How do you practice faith as a community of believers rather than an individual just attending church services? And both are important. We need to be this called out people and we need to be this come together people. We don't have one without the other. We need one another and we need to be called out individually from the world. Since we are called out of the world and called together by Jesus Christ, we must be directly connected to the person of Jesus Christ. The mission of Christ is the mission of the church. Jesus gave the clearest and most precise definition of his mission in Luke 4, verses 18 through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus was quoting a prophecy from Isaiah. Remember, we met Isaiah a little bit ago who said, I am unclean when he saw how holy God is. And Jesus announced the fulfillment of that prophecy. Isaiah prophesied one day one would come, and Jesus announced, I am that one who has come. He identified clearly the purpose of his ministry. If Jesus were running for political office, this passage could be his platform, Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, on every lawn sign all over Judea. We can't separate the person of Jesus from the work of Jesus. We can't understand one without the other. Jesus described himself as anointed because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The title Christ means the anointed one. It represents the Hebrew word Messiah or Mashiach. Jesus' last name was not Christ. I know, that blew some of our minds right there. It was the title that recognized Jesus as anointed by the Spirit of God for specific tasks, such as preaching the gospel to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, preaching deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, setting at liberty them that are bruised, preaching the acceptable year of the Lord. That was his mission. As Jesus' disciples, we are called to continue Jesus' ministry, and we're called to extend it to the ends of the earth. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And the same writer who wrote Acts wrote Luke. Luke provided a subtle hint to this in the first verse of the book of Acts. He was speaking of the previous volume, the Gospel of Luke, which he had written, and he stated his gospel detailed all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Acts 1, verse 1. The Gospel of Luke was the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but not the end. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry through his followers, through us, Jesus is still doing and still teaching in our world. Long after Jesus rented that boat on the Sea of Galilee, Peter finally recognized Jesus for who he really was. According to Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the one they have been looking for. He's the one. Many people recognize Jesus as an important teacher, leader, maybe even revolutionary. But Jesus' messiahship is a spiritual revelation that only comes from God. As we've seen, Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, reveals the Messiah's ministry. In the book of Acts, believers continued that ministry. And we see and should always see the continuation of that same ministry in our local churches today. Not just the buildings, but the people who come to those buildings, we should see that continued in our lives. When we understand who Jesus is and what his mission is, we would go and do likewise. The term ecclesia, from which we get our English term church, always referred to people, not buildings. The earliest gathering places for worship were believers' homes. They gathered outdoors. In extreme cases, they even gathered in the catacombs underground. When we understand the humble beginnings of the Christian faith and the view Christians had of themselves as a group, it's hard to see how churches have become multi-million dollar buildings. And these buildings can be wonderful blessings and wonderful assets. Think again about our language. We ask one another, what church do you go to? What church do you attend? Have you been by the church? But that doesn't make any sense if we ask, what, what people do you go to? What people do you attend? Have you been by the people? It doesn't make any sense, but we need to start changing our language. We need to start changing 
exactly what we mean when we say church. We should mean the people of God, not just the building where the people gather. There was a church sign, and I really liked what it read. It read, the church of Christ meets here, versus this building is the church of Christ. But this is where the church of Jesus Christ come together and worship and fellowship and encourage one another. I like that. Let's start saying things like, what church are you part of? Or what church family are you in? As opposed to what church do you go to? We're putting it back on people rather than places. We should always come together as the church. But let's not just invite people to come to church. Let's be the church in our world. Let's share our story. Let's share our testimony. Let's share the gospel with people outside of the building where we gather together. We should invite people to visit a place where the church gathers, but we as believers bring church everywhere we go. We should take church everywhere. We have to reflect on what kind of church we're bringing to our coworkers, to our family members, to our friends. No matter our level of awareness and intentionality, we are bringing church. We are bringing the gospel. We're bringing a relationship with Jesus to them. Just inviting them to a building reveals how we may have limited divine encounters with Almighty God to a location, to an address. But God can move at your job, and God can move in the store, and God can move in a house. God is not limited just to the building where the church gathers together. Thank God for the building. We need it. We need a place to gather together. But perhaps the most dangerous thing about a church building is it's caused people to relegate faith to a place rather than people, and many times to one day a week rather than every day. Please write this with permanent chisel tip sharpie on your soul. The church is people, not a building. Here's the question, and this is going to be our question for the week. How can you intentionally share church with others besides inviting them to your local place of worship? Always, we want to invite people to come with us. But let's not just invite people to come with us. Let's take Jesus to them. Let's purpose from today on into every day that everywhere and around everyone, I will be a disciple of Jesus. And we wrap this up. In John 21, we see a similar scene as we saw in Luke 5. Peter, James, John, other disciples were near the Sea of Galilee after Jesus had resurrected from the grave. And Peter, he decided to go fishing. And the other followers decided to follow him. They fished all night but caught nothing, which seems to be on Peter's resume quite a bit. Suddenly, a man appeared on the beach and instructed them, well, You guys cast your net on the right side of the boat. You'll catch some fish. Peter might have muttered and mumbled to himself like he did the first time. When they finally obeyed, they caught a tremendous amount of fish. And suddenly the disciples recognized that man on the shore. We knew he had a familiar voice. That's Jesus. Peter jumped out of the boat into the water and swam to shore. And sure enough, it was Jesus. The same Jesus he followed for three years. The same Jesus he swore he never would leave. The same Jesus he swore he never met. Peter really didn't know what to expect. Maybe a lecture. Pete, you really let me down back there. When he got to Jesus, Jesus served him and his buddies breakfast. And then after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter a simple question. Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? 
And Simon answered, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus asked again, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Of course, Lord, you know I love you. Then tend my sheep. Jesus asked again, Simon, do you love me? Simon was hurt. How many times was Jesus going to ask him a question? This question. Lord, you know all things. You even know how many hairs I have on my head and the older I get, the fewer they get. But you know, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And that was it. Three times. Maybe Jesus asked Simon this question. Do you love me? Around a fire early one morning, the same number of times others asked him this question. Are you one of his? Around a fire early one morning. Peter winced at that thought. That's when I fell. Three times. The same number of times Simon denied he ever met Jesus. Could it be Jesus was mercifully helping Simon stand back up after each time he fell down? Because Jesus had a purpose and plan for Simon Peter, that one day Simon Peter would be the man who would stand on the day of Pentecost and preach the message to the very first Christians, the newborn New Testament church, and preach to the crowd and anyone who would hear and anyone later who would read about how to get right with God through repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the privilege to follow Him. Thank God for mercy to catch us when we fall. Finally, Jesus finished his talk with Peter by telling him, You follow me, Peter. Then Jesus prophesied what Peter's life would look like and the rest of his life, even the end of his life would look like. And Peter was shocked when Jesus let him know that he would die a martyr's death. And he looked around at John, who was right there, and he said, What about him, Lord? If I'm going to die like that, what about him? And Jesus called Simon Peter away from focusing on others to focusing on his relationship with God, his walk with God. We have no control over anybody else's walk with God, only our own. And so today, as you consider following Jesus Christ, and as you consider as you follow and how you follow and how closely you follow Jesus, rather than look at others and say, if I'm better than they are, I must be okay, or if I'm not as good as they are, I don't stand a chance. But why don't you just look to Jesus, work on your relationship with him, Discover the call of God on your life and live a life that follows Jesus and leads others to follow him as well. Last question, and then we pray. Has God tried to speak with you, but you responded about another person or another situation instead of the condition of your own heart, your own soul, your own spirit? Think about that one as we get ready to pray. We're going to pray for God to help us to follow him with our whole heart and then also for God to help us make other disciples for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are the Lord. When I see you for who you are, I realize how sinful and wicked I am. But God, today I pray, help us to follow you with our whole heart, all of our mind, soul, strength, everything within us. Help us to follow you. Help us to look to you. Help us to live for you and help us to make disciples for you. Jesus, I thank you so much. You are gracious. You are good. 
I pray today your hand will be upon everyone who's listening to this. Help us, Lord, even if we fall, to look to your mercy, to get back up and to continue following you and following you where you lead us, not where you're leading others, but help us to know your call for our life and to walk in that calling. We pray this today. I want to be a part of your church you are building in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I feel the Holy Spirit going through this episode. I hope you do too. And if you are the one teaching this episode this weekend, I hope you will be sensitive to the Spirit of God and allow Him to work through you to minister to people who are called to follow Jesus. Speaking of follow, be sure to follow, like, subscribe, share, notify, and let others know about this podcast so they too can follow Jesus like we are so blessed to follow Him. If you are a teacher, Oh, perk up, because we are getting ready to go into the Formed Virtual Conference starting August 12th at 9 a.m. Central. We are going to have 17 effective, experienced speakers, four general session and 13 splits, all for children, youth, and adults. And each one is going to share an area of expertise in their particular field concerning teaching. It's going to be wonderful powerful, and it's going to be very convenient. It is a virtual online conference, so you don't have to get a hotel room or fight downtown traffic or parking garages or one-way streets. You can simply join with your church where your church meets. See how easy it is to change that language? And you can join with your team, or you can, if you're watching as an individual, you can watch from your living room with a bowl of cereal in your hand, and you can enjoy Formed, formed formed.upci.org to register as a team or individuals. You can register today and even schedule a watch party for later. If it's too close to back to school and all of that, you can still be a part of it after the fact. August 12th, 9 a.m. It starts formed.upci.org. Head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. Pick up our curriculum, our God's Word for Life curriculum. The fall will start September 3rd. It's already live, so you can pick up all the children, youth, adult, the lesson guides, leader guides, devotional activity pages. You can pick up resource kits. You can pick up the daily devotional guides for the youth and the adult. There are wonderful ways to be a daily disciple, not just a weekend disciple. All those at PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, GWFL10, you can get 10% off checkout. If you have not used it before, it's a one-time use promo code. So use it, GWFL, the number 10. Next week, we continue this wonderful series, glorious series called A Glorious Church. And I want to share with you an episode called The Purpose of the Church. We learned what the church is. And then next week, we'll learn what the church is called to be and do. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.